give you just a few ways to do that. I'll give a couple announcements here. Uh, the first one we'll put on the screen for you is this. Watch, it's coming. Ready? There it is. <laughs> Right after the service, we have uh, what we call a meet and greet. It's for those who may have come to to come on Easter for the first time, or you've been coming to the chapel for a while, and maybe you slip in and you slip out, but you don't know a lot about the chapel. Uh, Brittany Wadsworth, one of our staff members, will be at the table in the atrium afterwards just to answer any questions that you may have, or if you want to know more information about the chapel, uh, she can give you that. We'll also invite you next week to our second glance, which is an opportunity to get to know some of our staff, to hear more about the chapel in person, but we want to know you, and we want you to hopefully get to know us, and so make sure to stop by afterwards right in front of the library area to take those next steps with us. Next opportunity I want to tell you about is baptism. We really believe in baptism at the chapel. Baptism simply is a symbol, an outward symbol of an inward reality. That if you say inside of your life, I follow Jesus, you need to proclaim that to the world and the Bible gives us an opportunity to do that through baptism. Some of you may have been baptized as a child or a baby, but you haven't had that adult baptism yet. Or maybe you've been following Jesus for a while and you haven't taken that next step. We're going to be doing that. And we have a class right after the service, right in C2. Pastor Jeff will be there leading that class. And we would love to just tell you about baptism for about 15 minutes or so. It's not locking you in. If you want to come and just hear more without committing, that's great. But I'm just telling you, if you follow Jesus and you haven't taken that next step, to, this is the time. In the next couple of weeks, when we do baptism on May 9th, that's the time for you to declare that to the world. So if God's been stirring your heart saying, hey, I need to do that, make sure to stop at our information meeting right afterwards in C2 with Pastor Jeff. And then finally, about a week away, eight days away, we are bringing in Kirk Martin. On Monday the 1st, here in this room from 6 to 8, it's called Celebrate calm parenting because all of us as parents have many, many, many moments where we're not calm. <laughs> and we want to we parent out of calmness. We don't want to just have moments of calm and then we're erratic all the time. We want to flip that. We want to be calm most of the time and then have those moments. And I know uh, personally parenting is one of the hardest things in the whole world and we want to help you with this. He's a great speaker. He has a podcast, and we're bringing him in for everyone to come to. It's open to the public. You don't have to sign up. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have childcare for this event because we have a lot of people coming, um, but you can still come, and it's going to be great. So you can just show up uh, next Monday in 6 to 8 p.m., all right? Let's pray together and get into the message today. Lord, I just am grateful for your word we can read the truths that we'll read in the Gospel of John today over and over, and we don't get enough of it. We learn more about you. We discover more about you. And that's what John 1 is all about, discovering who you are and then what we're going to do about it. I pray, Lord, that as we open your word, people would just see you in a new way. In Jesus' name. Amen. We are preaching all through the Gospel of John for the next 21 weeks. There's 21 chapters in John. So every week, hopefully you'll read the chapter leading up to John. We have that on the Dwell app that's available as well. And so we're going to be in John 1 today. So open your Bibles to John chapter 1. Now last year, uh, LifeWay Research put together uh, a, a kind of a research project for them asking the question, who is Jesus? Who do you believe Jesus is? 
They asked people of faith inside the church. They asked people that are of different faiths. They asked people that don't have faith at all. Who do you believe Jesus is? Did he exist? Is he who he says he is? Here's just a couple results from that. 76% of Americans believe Jesus is a historical figure. Simply means he was alive. He was real. He is in our history. 76% of Americans believe that. 98% of Christ followers agree with that. And then 40% of non-religious people agree. He was a real man. Now when it comes to him as a spiritual figure, those numbers go, uh, go up actually, I should say, a little bit more. 84% of Americans believe Jesus is a vital spiritual figure. 99% of Christ followers agree. 50% of non-religious people agree. Now, I don't know how some people say he believes he's a religious figure and not ever existed, but we'll uh, do that for another time. But people think he's at least spiritual. He was at least a spiritual figure who made an impact in this world. Most, if not all, Christ followers believe that. Even half of non-religious folks believe that. And then they, they took, a, they took a, a poll of Christians and they asked them, what do they about, believe about Jesus? And there were these different responses. Some people agreed Jesus was this. Other people agreed Jesus was that. Everybody has an opinion about Jesus, whether you're a Christ follower or not. And the way that we come up with that opinion comes from maybe our childhood, how we grew up. Our view of religions in general, our view of the Bible, our view of Christianity, our view of the culture, our view of do we think this is all there is or is there something more? All of those views meld together and then we say this is who we think Jesus is. Who do you think Jesus is? It's a flawed question. Because we can't start with who we think Jesus is. And then put that on Jesus. You ever have someone in your life where immediately you met them and you judged them? Or you thought something of them? Maybe it's true, maybe not. But in your mind you're thinking, that's exactly who that person is. That's how their personality is. I'll never get along with them. And then you find out later in life or after that conversation even, okay, I was wrong. I was wrong about that person. I always joke with Paula, Paula met me and she's like, that dude could never be my husband. She was wrong. <laughs> because so often we start with what we think someone is or who they should be. And that's a flawed way of looking at different people. And it's a flawed way of looking at Jesus. Just because we want Jesus to be somebody that he is or isn't doesn't matter. The flawed question is who is Jesus? The right question to ask is, who does Jesus say he is? And then we go from there. Who does Jesus say he is? And then you can agree or disagree. Then you can believe or not believe. You can't say, I want Jesus to be like this. Or, I don't think Jesus is this. Or, because of Christians, I don't believe this about Jesus. Or, I can never think this about Jesus because look at our world. You can't do that. He has to reveal himself to you the way that he is and then you can agree or disagree. And that's exactly what the gospel of John really is doing. Here is who Jesus is. You don't have to agree with it. In fact, you can disagree with it. You don't have to believe in it. 
But you have to interact with the person of Jesus and then make that determination. You can't flip it and say, this is who he is or this is who I think he should be based about my interpretation. It doesn't work that way. That's why the Gospel of John, all the ways he starts John, he talks about a description of who Jesus is. And we're going to look at that description today, and then we have to make a determination. Do we agree with that or not? Do we believe that or not? And if we do, what are we going to do about that? That's why of all the ways, John, he begins, sorry, I need to go back here. John 1.1, the first words in John says this, in the beginning, the word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. You read something in the Bible that's repeated, pay attention. You read it three times in one verse, that is like flashing lights, that God's trying to tell you something right away in the first words of John. Here Here is who Jesus says he is. He is the Word. That word in Greek means logos. Now, Greek philosopher used this word logos to determine what was behind the scenes of the world. What was this force? What was this idea that gave life sustainability, that gave order to life? It was foundational to all of what was happening in the world. That's what the Greek philosopher said. It was an idea. It was a force. Think of Star Wars and the force, right? This energy behind everything. The Greek philosopher said that's what the Logos was. And all of a sudden, we read right away, three times in one verse, the Logos isn't an energy. It's not this mysterious force. The scriptures claim that Jesus is the Logos. He is behind all things. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. He gives order. The Greeks would have laughed at this. The Jews thought Jesus could never be this. That's exactly who he is. Throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus directly and indirectly claims to be this Logos, the Word, God himself, Behind all things. And here's the problem. When you're interacting with that truth, you have three options. You can think Jesus is a liar because who in the world would think they're God? They must have a facade. Or he must be delusional. He must be a lunatic. Because who claims to be God? Those people are crazy. Or he is who he says he is. He's Lord. It doesn't matter who you think Jesus should be. He reveals himself as the Lord, as God. And we would be foolish to think otherwise. You don't have to agree with it. But you can't say that he isn't God because he says he is. You don't have to believe it. You can think he's a crazy guy. You can think he's lying. That's fine. But he says he's this. So you have to interact with what he says about himself. He says he's God. And all throughout John, watch how many times he directly or indirectly claims divinity. Who he is matters to us. It doesn't matter who we think he should be. It doesn't matter. 
What matters is here's who he says he is. What do you do with that truth? Because not only is he God, he is coming for a purpose. He's come to do something. Here's what the gospel writer says in verse 14. It says, the word became human and he made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. All other religions say God is out there. Our faith says God came here. The message version says he made his home among us. He moved into the neighborhood. Our God says not only am I out here, I'm also here. I've come to where you are. I've left the comforts of heaven to come to this this earth, to live the very life that you live, to do for you what you can never do for yourself. Jesus isn't in heaven bored. He doesn't need a vacation like lots of us need. He leaves heaven to come to this earth. He gets dirty with us. He interacts with death and pain and suffering for a purpose. And we read this in John 1 verse 4. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. If you've ever wondered... What has Jesus come to do? Why has he moved into the neighborhood? Why is he here in the first place? Why would he leave heaven, which is way better than this earth, and come to this earth and walk among us and live with us? It's two words, life and light. He has come to give us life through his light, which means we don't have it. His claim that I've come to give life or light means something's wrong. You don't have those things, and I need to bring them to you. We read this in the next verse. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. He brings life and light into the world because there is darkness in this world. He had to move in the neighborhood. He had to come to our world because what he saw was filled with darkness. The prophet Isaiah talks about what it means to live in this darkness. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2 says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Two times in that verse, Isaiah is claiming that all of us live or walk, which is another word to say live, in darkness. That's how he characterizes this world. It's darkness. And I think you and I would agree with that. When you look around in this world, it doesn't seem like there is a lot of light. The darkness that you and I interact with every day that we're a victim to. Darkness like death. Loss. Divorce. I see now more than ever, Our kids interacting with bullying and being excluded for who they are or their interests or whatever that is. All of the ways that we walk with depression and loneliness and anxiety. That's the opposite of life. That's the opposite of light. Those are the things that are happening to us. What about the ways that we add to the darkness? 
What about our favorite hiding spots of darkness that we go to to try to escape the light in life? Addiction. Well, I believe there's a lot of people who can't choose because of addiction. Others of us can, and we do. We choose to go into the hiding spot of drinking too much. Some of us know what I mean as of last night. Or we take pills to numb the pain. Some of us go into the hidden places of darkness of eating too much. We're not eating enough. Some of us know the darkness of anorexia and bulimia because we want to look a certain way. We become a slave to exercise or what the mirror says or what other people say based upon what social media says about us. We hide in those ways. Some of us hide in pornography or other different ways that we try to escape by some kind of acts of sex. Some people know about them. Most of the time, they don't. It's a hiding place. This world is dark. Sometimes we're a victim of that darkness. Other times, we add to the darkness. And that's why Jesus says, look, here's who I claim to be. I claim to be the word. I am behind all things. But I am not unknowable like other religions claim about their God. You can know me because I've moved into your neighborhood. I've come to where you are. If you have a question about who this God is or you're wondering what does he look like or what impact can he have in my life, don't look anywhere else but to Jesus. He is there. And he said, look, I've had to come give life and light because we have chosen darkness. We're either a victim of it or we add to it by our life. And Jesus says, that's no way to live. That's not what I've created. You have chosen that, but you don't have to. That's why I've come to give life to the full. That's why I want to shine a light in the darkness. Going back here to John chapter 8, a little further down, we'll get to that in about eight weeks or so. But it's interesting what Jesus says about himself. He says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to live in darkness, walk in darkness every single day. There will be darkness in this world, but you don't have to succumb to it. You don't have to live in it. You don't have to choose it. Because you will have life that leads to life. I will give you this light that leads to life. You don't have to hide anymore. You don't have to succumb to darkness anymore. I will give you life. One of my kids' favorite games is neighborhood hide-and-seek. I always tell them, can you just go play hide-and-seek in our house? No, Dad. Why? Because there's no good hiding spots. I want my friends and I to go out into the neighborhood and go find hiding spots where they will never find me. And there are many times where it takes a long time for them to be found, and sometimes they just come out because they found such a good hiding spot for them. They love that game. It's one of their favorite games. And thankfully for us, Jesus loves to play that game too. It's one of his favorite games. Because so often we want to go hide and Jesus comes with light to find us in our hiding spots. The darkness that we've succumbed to, the darkness that we've chosen, he comes with his light of life and says, come on out. You don't have to play that game anymore. Life doesn't have to be a game. 
It doesn't have to be us jumping out of darkness and light, trying to discover life and our own strength. You and I know we can't. So he's come to give life through shining a light in the darkness. He holds out his hand. So how do you choose that life? How do you come out of the darkness? Well, did you notice in verse 12, he says, if you follow me. It's an invitation. He's like, look, I had the world's biggest spotlight. I will shine a light in your darkness. I will give you the life you've always wanted. You don't have to choose darkness anymore. I will Get rid of the darkness. I will extinguish it. But you have to take my hand. Just because he finds you doesn't mean that you're coming out of the darkness. You have to come out by taking his hand as he takes you out, a.k.a. following him, going to where Jesus is. And what I love about the rest of John 1 is that not only does he tell us who he is and why he's come, he tells us how we can follow him. And it's a little bit different than I think some of us may even think it is, especially for those who may be skeptics or who have wounds from growing up in a church that you felt like shoved religion down your throats. That's not what Jesus is interested in. He's not trying to force you into something or guilt you into something. He's inviting you to get out of the darkness and come into the light. He's inviting you to give life. Here's how. The following day, John, John the Baptist, was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When Jesus' two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. These two followers of now Jesus were followers of John. And in John chapter 1, John's like, look, you can follow me all you want, but someday someone's going to come around who offers life and shines a light in the darkness. I'm just preparing the way for him. But when he comes on the scene, leave me and follow him. And all of a sudden, John the Baptist sees Jesus, knows it's him, knows that's the word. That's logos right there. That's God in the flesh. That's the God that moved into our neighborhood. That's the God who took on uh, humanness. That's the God who's come right where you are. That's the Lamb of God. And those disciples would have been like, that's the Lamb of God. I'm going after them. And that phrase, Lamb of God, those of us that don't know that maybe the Jewish scripture, the Old Testament, They would offer an innocent lamb on Passover or even daily as a sacrifice in the temple as a symbol of cleanliness, as a symbol of holiness, as a symbol of forgiveness of sin. But it was a picture. It was temporary until the real lamb of God, the innocent lamb of God, also known as the Messiah, God himself would come and offer himself for sin, for death, for eternity. And John goes, there he is. We've been reading about him. We've been studying about him. You've been thinking about him. Since you've been a child, there he is. And these guys are like, I gotta go. And they follow him. Jesus, he turns around and saw them following. He says, what do you want? He asked them. And they replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Like, hey, 
supposedly you're the Lamb of God, and I really want to follow you now. Where are you going? I want to go where you're going. And then he says three words that embody what it means to follow Jesus. He says three words that says, it goes from, is this possibly Jesus? I don't know. To discovering for ourselves. He looks at them and says, come and see. You may not believe I am the Lamb of God. Maybe you do. I know you've read about things about me. I know people have said things about me. The only way that you can really know is not from John, not from our parents, not from me. You discover it yourself. You come to where I'm coming. And I'll allow you to discover all that you've ever wanted. Come and see. This is not religion, religious oppression of guilt and shame and coercion. It's an invitation of a relationship filled with reason, filled with wonder, filled with amazement, filled with a way that we can discover life ourselves, not through anybody else. Just go to Jesus. Come and see. That's the invitation. He shines a light in the darkness, but if you stay there, you're still in the dark. There's a lot of skeptics who say, I don't really believe in Jesus. Well, have you tried to discover him yourself? No, Google told me that. Well, Google isn't always right. 99% of the time, it's right. But not all of the time. You can't discover Jesus through another person. You can't discover it through an online search. And you've got to come and discover it to me. Come to me. Come and see. I will give you everything you want. I will pull you out of the darkness. But you have to come and see yourself. And you may say, I get it. I'm skeptical. I'm a doubter. I don't know if I believe that. Jesus is the word. He's logos. He's behind all of this. He created this. He sustains us seriously. If that's you, watch what happens now. A little while later, the next day, Jesus decides to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Bethsaida and Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathaniel, his friend, and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Philip sees Jesus, realizes he is the Lamb of God. He is the Word he is the one that's moved into the neighborhood. He's the fulfillment of the scriptures. He's the lamb of God who would die for all of humanity. Jesus looks him in the eye and says, come and follow me. Come and see who I am. Philip, he leaves everything. He's so excited. But he tells Jesus, hold on, I gotta go tell my friend Nathaniel. Because Nathaniel and I, we're boys. And we study the scriptures together. We know all about the Messiah We've been waiting for him with our ancestors for thousands of years. You're finally here. Now we can really follow you in the flesh. He's so excited to tell his boy Nathaniel. And Philip gets to Nathaniel. Listen to this sarcasm. Nazareth? Exclaimed Nathaniel. Can anything good come from Nazareth? And then what does Philip say? Come and see for yourself. 
we were to ask Nathaniel the question, who do you think Jesus is? And he hears the phrase, he's come from Nazareth. He would say, I can tell you who Jesus is. He's not who you think he is. He can't be the Messiah. He can't be the Lamb of God. He can't be the Logos. He can't. He comes from Nazareth. Nazareth was this podunk, podunk town filled with irrelevancy. No one prominent came from Nazareth. And you're telling me God in the flesh came from Nazareth. Are you serious? How could this be? And what Philip doesn't do, he doesn't argue with him. You and I, we want to argue with people. All right, let me just give you 15 ways that Jesus is the Messiah. No, he just says, you got to come and see for yourself. You got to come and see. It would have been laughable for Nathaniel. In fact, I love how Tim Keller puts it. Many people today view Christianity much like Nathaniel viewed Nazareth. That's some of you in here. Nazareth doesn't have respect. You think Christianity doesn't have any respect. You think it's hogwash. Jesus coming from Nazareth, there's no way. And you're thinking, Jesus is the only way to God. No way. There's heaven and there's hell. No way. You're telling me that this guy right here is behind all of creation and he also started it and he sustains it? No way. And you're a skeptic. And you put your hand out. No way it can't happen. And I understand your doubts. I love that this story is in the beginning of John. You have a doubter in Jesus right away. And just like Jesus said to come and see, Philip says, Nathaniel, I know you think it's crazy. I know. It goes against reason and logic, at least what we've been told. I know. But come and see. Come and discover. Come and see who this guy really is. So, verse 46, come and see for yourself, Philip replied. As they approached, Jesus said to Nathanael, now here's a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. Nathanael goes, whoa, how do you know that about me? And Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Nathanael, he changed his tune. Rabbi, you were the son of God, the king of Israel. And then Nathaniel followed Jesus. Imagine if Nathaniel's like, look, Philip, I Googled this and I have arguments telling you that this isn't true. And we know what the scriptures say, but Nazareth, that's like, no way. I can't do it. He's like, you just got to come and see. And he goes and see, and then he hears something about him that only God himself could have known. And when he hears that, his doubts melt away. And instead of him asking the question, who is Jesus? And answer it for himself. Jesus says, who do you say I am? And he discovers it after he's invited to come and see. For the rest of John, the comment that I want you to remember is to come and see who he is. He has life. He shines a light in to give you out of the darkness. If you're a believer in Christ, maybe you've slipped away. Maybe you grew up in the church. And you're like, man, I, I just don't know if I believe this anymore. He's inviting you to come and see again. It's an invitation of grace. If you are a skeptic, if you are a doubter, if you don't believe, welcome to the scriptures because you are right there. Your intellectual doubts are reflected with Nathaniel. But Nathaniel had integrity to say, 
I will go and see myself. If he'd have walked away and said, I don't believe in this Jesus, at least he went and saw himself. If you are a skeptic, you better go and see for yourself. If you walk away, that's up to you. But go and see for yourself. I want to end with this prayer. It's a beautiful prayer. And maybe today, for the first time, you've discovered who Jesus is. He's coming to give life and light. He wants to shine that light in the darkness. This prayer is for you. If you want, again, to say, man, I've gone off the path. I've gone to my favorite hiding spots. Yes, I know Jesus, but I'm not living for him anymore. He's inviting you back. Come and see again what you've already known. And after the service, I'll be standing up here. If you want to talk more, if you want to know more, if you want to say, tell me more about this Jesus. I'll just bring you right to him, just like Philip does in Nathaniel. But I want this to be the end prayer. Let me read this out loud, and I encourage you to pray this for yourself. Oh, Lord, as long as I am apart from you, I am self-satisfied because I have no standard by which to measure my low stature. But when I come near to you, there for the first time, I see myself. In your light, I behold my darkness In your purity, I behold my corruption. My very confession of sin is the fruit of holiness. O divine man, let me gaze on you more and more until in the vision of your brightness, I loathe the sight of my impurity. Until in the blaze of that glory which human eye has not seen, I fall prostrate, blinded, broken, to rise again as a new man in you. Come and see. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great Sunday.